You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I'd invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 12. Perhaps to get a sense of context, you should realize that this follows right on the tail of Hebrews chapter 11. And that's significant because Hebrews 11 is all about the faith that God's people have shown in trials, in hardships. And we can begin reading to get a sense of that at Hebrews 11.39. The hardships that God's people went through, what God had planned through those hardships. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had promised something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when He rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit ourselves to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Our text this morning is Proverbs chapter 3, the verses 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent His rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those He loves, as a father the son He delights in. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is discipline? It's a fair question. It's a big part of our lives. It's a big part of your life if you're a parent. You probably have pondered that question. What exactly is discipline? What exactly am I doing here with my child? If you were a child at one point, and I would guess that almost all of you were, then you also probably wondered 
at some point. What is discipline? What is going on here? What are my parents doing to me? What is my teacher trying to teach me? If you're a child of God, you've probably wondered, what is discipline? What is the Lord doing here? What am I to learn? What is the purpose of this? And also in church, when matters of discipline arise, and we wonder, what is discipline? Why are we going about it in this way? Discipline is a large and important matter for all of us in whatever stage of life we are at. And our text this morning deals with discipline. And there's two things that come together in discipline. So while initially, if you see that a sermon about discipline is going to be coming your way, then you're likely to think that this sermon is going to be about child-rearing, but it's not. Our text this morning is is not specifically about child-rearing, although it comes up. The Lord disciplines those He loves as a father, the son He delights in. No, when it comes to discipline, we are all affected. It affects us all. But yet, as we look at discipline especially in this book of Proverbs, as we sort of survey what is, uh, survey the book and ask the question, what is discipline? And we'll see that it certainly applies to a, a father with his children, a mother with her children. It applies to a teacher with her students. It applies to really anyone with a position of authority over someone else. It applies to us and how we respond to the discipline applied by those over us if we're children or if we're adults. It applies to us as children of God living in the care of our Heavenly Father. And so we come to our text this morning. We'll look at, our under, look at it under this theme that a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines his child. We'll consider the definition of discipline. What is discipline? It's not immediately clear. We'll consider how discipline is applied properly. And finally, we'll get sort of to the point of how discipline is received by us. A father disciplines his child. So what is discipline? When, when you think of discipline, I wonder, what do you think of? What sort of character does discipline have? Does it have a negative character? Is it something bad? Is it something to be avoided? Or is it a necessary evil that at certain times it becomes necessary, but otherwise I'd rather not pay attention to it? I wonder if we ask the children here what they would say. What, what is discipline? What have your parents taught you about discipline? Is it good? Is it bad? Does it happen? Does it happen too much? What is discipline? 
In order to understand what discipline is, we need to realize that the word that is translated as discipline in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is going to have our attention today, and also Hebrews 12, because it factors largely there. But the word that sits under discipline is also translated in other ways in the book of Proverbs. That doesn't make our job easy as we come to this text. I know it's not good to criticize Bible translations, and and this is not a criticism, this is just sort of a reality of translation. That sometimes what a word means in, in one language doesn't translate well, or there's several words that kind of cover that ground in another language. That's what we have here. It's one word in Hebrew, but there's several words that cover that ground in English. That's important for us to realize. The word is most often translated as discipline. Next to that, the word is translated as instruction. Instruction. So, in that sense, discipline is instruction. Proverbs 1 verse 8, that, that verse had our attention a few weeks ago. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. That word discipline is there as instruction. Proverbs 13, verse 1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction. Discipline. But a mocker does not listen to rebuke. So discipline and instruction are very close. You could say they're the same thing. Discipline is instruction. And instruction is discipline. Well, what does that mean? Well, that certainly means at least this, that discipline is more than just punishing wrong behavior, isn't it? It's more than just punishing wrong behavior. It's instruction, it's guiding, it's leading, it's teaching. It's inputting all sorts of good along with correcting the bad. Discipline is about teaching a a right behavior. It's about teaching a a way of, of living. And so if discipline is instruction, discipline is also open communication. Open communication from parent to child. From God to us. It's about open communication, and that especially falls on the person who is in authority. Parents are to instruct their children. Proverbs does talk about the child who refuses to learn. But more often, the book of Proverbs teaches about the father, especially the father, both parents, but especially the father, who is to instruct. The burden is on the father to lead his children. It's the child's responsibility to learn. The father has to communicate, instruct, lead his children. So a few moments ago, I asked you about what is discipline. And I wonder if in that, in your understanding, if communication, instruction, if that was included. Is it important to you as you discipline to be communicating your intention? To be communicating what has gone wrong? What should happen? Or, if nothing has gone wrong, 
communicating that this is right, this is good, or this is what should be. Discipline is about instruction. It's about like a way of life. It's crucial to discipline. And if our children aren't getting the message, then we need to continue to teach them. And if we aren't getting the message, then the Lord is determined to continue to teach us. And so understanding that discipline and instruction are are the same thing, in fact, helps us to understand that there's a close relationship between discipline and wisdom. Discipline and wisdom. Remember, wisdom is is that word that stands at the center of Proverbs. These Proverbs are about gaining wisdom. And when you gain wisdom, you gain life. So then listen to these words about the connection between wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the theme of the whole book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. To toss out one is to toss out the other. Proverbs 8, verse 33, Listen to my instruction, my discipline, and be wise. Do this and be wise. Do not ignore it. So wisdom and discipline go hand in hand. In fact, wisdom is the goal of discipline. Wisdom is the goal of discipline. Proverbs 19, verse 20, Listen to advice and accept instruction, accept discipline, and in the end, you will be wise. Wisdom, living in wisdom is living close to the Lord, is is applying what we know of the Lord and and the, the spiritual resources that He's given us, applying it to our lives, and you could say living a good life, truly living. Well, we're taught discipline is the way that this is achieved in our lives. It's the way that we learn wisdom and learn to live as God would have us live in His covenant in this world. Discipline, we also learn, is life-giving. Discipline infuses life into the person that receives it. Certainly, we can see that in our text. The Lord disciplines those He loves. The Lord is concerned for our life, and so He, He disciplines us, He instructs us, He leads us, He guides us, that we might live. Discipline is not life-taking. Abuse is life-taking. Abuse diminishes life. Abuse has no regard for life. Abuse sucks the life out of a person. Abuse tries to snuff out life in a child, in an adult. Discipline is life-giving. Discipline feeds life. Discipline understands that there's certain things that will lead to death, and so we need to stop that. But there's also a whole way of living that is, that is life-giving. Discipline encourages in that. Discipline infuses life into the person who is taught by it. Proverbs 4, verse 13. Hold on to instruction, discipline, Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. 
Proverbs 6, verse 23. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. The corrections of discipline are a way to life. Now, why would discipline be considered life-giving? And we need to, we need to bring that out into the open here. We need to discuss that here because the popular sentiment, at least as it seems to me and the things that I've read about discipline from a, a secular perspective, is that discipline is wrong. It's, it's wrong-headed. It's old-fashioned. That correction is, is out. It's, it doesn't work anymore. We've tried that and it failed. And what we need is an, an approach of purely positive reinforcement. No room for correction here. Only positive reinforcement. Now, not to take away that part of positive reinforcement, of course, that's part of instruction. But why would correction, as Proverbs 6.23 says, why would the corrections of discipline be the way of life? Well, the book of Proverbs itself gives us some clues. Helps us to understand what's at stake here. Proverbs 22, verse 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. There's something innate in a child. There's something foolish in them. We were to expand that, we would say, there's something innate in all of us. There's something sinful about all of us that requires the correction of discipline. It requires that, that our tendency is to go toward the foolish and we must be corrected, sometimes severely, in order to go in the right direction. Our text, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent His rebuke. It's saying the Lord's rebuke is a good thing. We need that rebuke because of our tendency not to listen. The Lord's rebuke is a good thing because we need it. The Father's rebuke is a good thing because the child needs it. We don't naturally do what is right. We must be taught, directed, corrected in doing what is right. In fact, the Proverbs are very clear that if we don't correct, if we don't discipline our children, we do them no favors. Proverbs 13.24 He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. And in the same way, we need the discipline of the Lord so that at any moment on the path, so that we, we won't proceed at any moment on the path that leads to destruction, on the way of folly and foolishness, which brings us harm. But we need... We need to ask God to correct us, to rebuke us, to discipline us, to lead us on the right path. So discipline is instruction, it's guiding. Discipline has wisdom as its goal. Discipline is life-giving. The discipline of a parent to their child but also for us. The Lord's discipline is all of these things for us. Hebrews 12 teaches us that accept hardship as discipline, as sons, 
made sons through Jesus Christ, accept what the Lord is giving you in this life, the hardship, the pain, the suffering, accept it as discipline. Learn from it. So that is what discipline is. It's instruction, it's correction, it's life-giving, it leads to wisdom. We come to discipline applied. How do we apply discipline? Discipline which can hold that full scope that's present as Proverbs discusses the, the topic of discipline. Discipline that can hold all of that together is certainly going to be discipline that is well applied. Discipline is, you can picture it as, as the way of moving from one point to another. A point of, of childishness and foolishness on the one point to a point of maturity and wisdom on another. And for all of us, we're at different stages there. Some of are very mature and very wise, and yet the Lord disciplines that they might learn more maturity and wisdom and, in fact, more righteousness at the end. Others are, are over here, but it's all about moving from a point of childishness and immaturity, foolishness, to a point of wisdom, maturity. And that means that discipline can't have only this corrective, negative aspect to it. If you want to get someone from here to there, you can't only stop them from doing things. You have to encourage them along that way. And that's what the Lord does with us. He encourages us on that way. Corrects us when we get off that way. But encourages us to walk on the path from foolishness to wisdom. Proverbs 11, 3 verse 11, captures that profoundly. The Lord disciplines those He loves. He disciplines in love. He guides us along this path as a father, the son He delights in. The entire push of discipline is an overwhelmingly positive one. And therefore, discipline needs to have this positive tone. Discipline applied must have this positive tone. And so we need to ask ourselves, if, our, if we were to poll our children, ask them, what do you understand from discipline? Would they know that it has this positive aspect? If we ask ourselves, what do I understand from discipline? Would we realize that it has this positive aspect? It is love in action. The goal of discipline is to have the child also come alive to righteousness. As we move from, from foolishness to wisdom, we become alive to righteousness. It's not to create a, a lifeless robot who obeys because of fear or for merit, but because the child learns to love righteousness, learns to love what is good, has been taught that it is good to embrace righteousness, embrace obedience, to, to live in thankfulness. That's the goal of discipline. Not to oppress in order to live in fear. Not to threaten, to encourage thankful obedience, just like the Lord does with us. He gives us His love, encourages us to obey in thankfulness. We're to find joy in what's right. And to be eager to please 
because that reciprocates the sort of love that we have already been shown. And so what does this mean on the ground? Well, it means that all correct and rebuke is going to be surrounded with an atmosphere of encouragement and direction. It means that, yes, correction and rebuke, but in an atmosphere of encouragement and direction. Isn't that how the Lord treats us? Don't we hear every week the gospel of grace, the good news of Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in love? So that, at times, we can hear His rebuke. At times, we can be corrected. But it's all in the context of His love that He's shown in Jesus Christ. God's Word, every page, revealing His grace. So that in those places in which we have His correction and rebuke, we might never lose sight of His love. That means that the time to begin this encouragement is not immediately after you have applied correction. Okay, you've had correction. I love you. No, it's, I love you. I love you. You need correction. I still love you. It's the way that the Lord treats us. The Lord gives us the sign of His love in baptism. The Lord is, is committed to having us understand his love. And so all of us who apply discipline need to apply it in the same way as our God. We need to have the goal for the child in mind and to work according to that goal. And again, the time is not when the child has done something wrong, but constantly knowing that we're heading, that we're teaching this child to move from foolishness to wisdom. Always having that goal in mind, in the good and the bad. That's what it's going to look like on the ground. Of course, there is also another side to discipline that's applied. It's not only saying, I love you. It's also correcting when, when there is wrong actions, when there's sin. Proverbs discusses this correction in several places. And the other words that are connected with this are rebuke, correction, and punishment. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker doesn't listen to rebuke. Proverbs 5.12, you will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. Proverbs 16.22, understanding is a fountain of life to those who have it, but folly brings punishment to fools. One thing that's clear is that this sort of correction is absolutely necessary. Just think only of our text. The Lord disciplines us in His love. We are not to resent His rebuke. But also what becomes clear is that at times this, this discipline is very strong. It's necessary and it's very strong. Proverbs 13.24 He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Proverbs 22.15 Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive him far from it. Proverbs speaks about the rod of discipline. What is that rod? Well, I would say that's the, that is the means by which discipline is applied. We live in a country 
in which by law we are not allowed to use a rod. And some would say that this then stands directly against the command of the Lord. But I believe that understanding this word rod, we have to take a broader look at it. In Psalm 23, David speaks about the Lord is my shepherd. And he speaks about the Lord's rod and his staff. And the question is, when the Lord uses that rod, does he always use it in a physical way? Is it always applied physically? Well, no. The Lord the Lord uses His rod of discipline in all sorts of ways. The rod of discipline has to be applied in a co- consistent with what discipline is. For some children, a spanking, which is allowed, is good, is necessary, at times, is going to be very effective. For another child, that's not going to be effective at a certain point. But whatever punishment that is, whatever correction, is the rod being applied. Is using the means to achieve the end of discipline. Sometimes this means is severe. And how does this work out practically? It's very, very difficult to say. We need much wisdom. We need to be taught from God's Word how to apply that discipline for the good of our child. Because we know the Lord uses much discipline in how He deals with all of us individually. We look around and we look at the lives of others, we can see that the Lord deals with us all very, very differently. All according to what we need, even when we don't realize it. That's how discipline is to be applied. Sometimes that application is painful. But it's also necessary. Proverbs is clear that when you are applying discipline, what you are in fact doing is saving your child from a life of of foolishness on the first hand. Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. You're saving your child from a life of folly when you correct them. You're also saving your child from death. Proverbs 23.13 Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. He will not die. We punish for the good of our children. We punish to prevent Death, spiritual death, turning from the Lord's ways. And so when we apply discipline properly, we apply it for the Lord's glory. That the Lord, the righteousness that the Lord gives would be manifest in the lives of our children. Because that is what God does with us. And then we come to our last point, discipline received. Where we focus in on Hebrews 12. Perhaps the most powerful context in which to consider discipline is, in fact, the way that the Lord deals with us. And He deals with us in a way that's consistent with what the Proverbs teach about discipline. That is, the instructions that the Lord gives about discipline come from 
His way of dealing with us in wisdom. They reflect the manner that God deals with us. We are to discipline then also in a way that, that's consistent with how God deals with us. This teaches us that in order to discipline properly as anything in this life, we need not only to look at the word discipline in the book of Proverbs, but we need to be saturated with who God is and, and how God works. We need to understand from every page of God's Word the character of God. That is going to help us to apply discipline. Our vertical theology has a dramatic effect on our horizontal theology. So we must attend ourselves to God's Word. Also to understand how it is that He deals with us. And how does He deal with us? Well, in the ways that we've already mentioned, in wisdom and discipline. He instructs us. He he leads us in life. He encourages us. He corrects us. He afflicts us for our good. He does what's necessary to drive the foolishness from us. And this often involved hardship. If you turn to Hebrews 12, we'll look at that again. The whole context of the book of Hebrews is hardship, is struggle, is trial. It comes through in Hebrews 11. It talks about those who live by faith in Hebrews 11. And we get this summary of those who live by faith. We might expect that those who live by faith are going to have a nice, easy life. But then in Hebrews 11.32, it says, What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Woman received back their dead, raised to life again. All good things, but then he goes on. Others were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. That's the context. Hardship. This is hardship. Stoned, sawed in two, put to death by the sword. We could mention other hardships as well. I'm sure you know the hardships that you have experienced in your lives. The afflictions. Sometimes the way the Lord deals with us involves this hardship. He does it in His wisdom. The question that Hebrews asks us and the question that Proverbs 3 asks us is how do we accept this discipline, this hardship? Do we take it as punishment from the Lord? Do we say to ourselves, the Lord must be punishing me for what I have done? Is that what God's Word teaches? No. God's Word teaches thoroughly that Christ has taken away our punishment. God doesn't need to punish us anymore because Christ bore the full burden of God's wrath against sin on the cross. There's no more punishment for sin. We couldn't bear up under it if there was. Christ has taken it away. 
So what is hardship? Hardship is discipline. Hardship is discipline because we are God's children and He is determined to teach us. Hebrews 12, verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It brings a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Do not resent the Lord's discipline. Do not resent His correction. Is it hard? Yes. The author, the English author C.S. Lewis brought up this analogy with God's discipline and the hardship that we receive. He said it's just like a master painter. If a master painter wants to whip off a, a picture for his child and, you know, just something to do quickly, a sketch, he'll do the picture and he'll get it done and he'll be done with it. But when a master painter is working on his masterpiece, then he applies layer after layer of paint, overlapping layers of paint. He he attends his time to it. And then after the paint is dried, he takes out a scraper and he begins to scrape. And he scrapes and he scrapes and he scrapes. And he keeps scraping as much as he needs to to turn that masterpiece into exactly what he intends it to be. And you can just imagine the painting sitting under that scraping going, no, enough! This is painful! Why are you doing this? But it's all about the intention. The Lord has a harvest of righteousness intended for those who experience His discipline. It's an expression of God's love, His fatherly love. We experience as pain, even sometimes as we interpret it as punishment, God intends for good. Intends it as discipline to keep us from foolishness and immaturity, to move us towards wisdom, life, righteousness. The fruit of that isn't always present right away. But the harvest of righteousness, the righteousness that shows the glory of God and shows His purpose all along, surely always comes at the end. Be still. What God in His good pleasure to you in wisdom may impart is given you in perfect measure. Thus be content within your heart. To Him who chose us for His own, our needs and wants are surely known. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.